Welcome to the 360T Podcast, a series that features top industry professionals offering unique insights regarding how the FX market is developing around us. Hello, and welcome to the 360T Podcast with myself, Galen Stops, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Dr. Sven Schubert, a Senior Investment Strategist at Vontobel Asset Management. Thank you so much for joining me today, Sven. I really appreciate it. Thanks for inviting me. So the first thing I wanted to ask you is let's start with a forward-looking question, seeing as it's still the start of the new year just about, which is, as I think back to 2020, I know there were sort of lots of stories in the currency market. For me, the kind of overarching story was the return to volatility after a multi-year period of very low volatility. Suddenly, the pandemic caused it to come back to life. We did see it subside at points in the year, but it never went back to that low state. So the opening question is, what's your outlook for 2021? Do you think we're going to see a bumpy ride in the currency markets? Or do you think that ultimately things are trending back towards that lower vol environment? I think going forward, but that's not maybe the main story for 2021 is that we should get familiar with higher volatility again. But let me start with the outlook by saying that I think it will be still a risk on year for a couple of reasons, like uh, liquidity is, for example, still ample. Fiscal stimulus is ample. We have seen a bigger package in the US than expected. The EMU even silenced some of the opponents of the package, or at least those that threatened to veto it. So here we have seen positive news recently. The rollout of the vaccine should start. And I think it should not be underestimated that it's very, very easy this year to really deliver astonishing GDP numbers and economic figures. That's for one thing. And then the second is that obviously in the US, uh, the new Biden administration is at the margin a positive for stopping the deglobalization trend, which is placed since uh, the great financial crisis. We have seen already China making some trade deals with the EU and within the region. So that is all positive, I would say, for global trade and therefore positive for cyclical currencies. And obviously, the market is pricing in that very quickly. And we have seen the Scandies performing very well. We have seen Aussie and Kiwi performing relatively well. So I think here we have seen already part of the positive performance, but there's still some juice left, I would say. But coming back to the volatility question, I think the risks for high volatility is rising towards the end of the year because uh, we expect a bit higher inflation. We don't know yet exactly when the Fed will kind of change their policy guidance. So all these questions are still in the room and they might become a topic later this year when the Fed finally has to kind of indicate when they start tapering and normalizing its balance sheet. And we have seen already in January a little spike that reminded us to the taper tantrum in 2013. So yes, I would expect over time uh, volatility to go up again. Well, first of all, after the last 12 months, it was something of a cooling breeze to hear you talk about being positive at the start of the year again. I think we could all do with a bit of positivity these days. I, I want to pick up on one thing that you touched on there, which is we're actually recording this on the day that Biden is due to be inaugurated in just a few short hours. So I, I want to get your take on what a Biden administration means for financial markets and FX in particular. Because to my mind, you know, on the one hand, Biden has promised in a lot of ways to take things in a different direction to Trump. But on the other, will he find himself boxed in by you know, the realities of an economy ravaged by COVID, 
of the fact that attitudes towards China and the consensus around that has kind of hardened over the last four years. So what, what are your thoughts there? I think there might be some implications for the equity market, for example, in terms of uh, regulation. And there's a chance of a kind of a grand uh, bargain on multilateral rules for cybersecurity and even for private data use by tech companies. I think here the US and Europe, they kind of converged a bit more towards a kind of consensus. There is a chance, but that is more the equity sector. And on the ethics side, you're right. I think we shouldn't expect too much in terms of the uh, tech war between China and the US. We will uh, maybe come to it a bit later. But on the trade front, I think we may not come to the state where we have been before the Trump election. But I think we erased the kind of tail risk of rising tariffs on both sides and retaliation measures. I think the next things to happen is that both and the US uh, will sit down again with the US and bargain about future trade relations. But I think there's only a low chance that uh, tariffs are rolled back um, in the near term. Maybe they're going back a bit here and a bit there for some sectors. But I still think uh, we will not come back to the state we have seen before. And from the Chinese perspective, I think they will kind of adopt the policy of hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst, because nobody can promise China really that the next president will not be Trump again. So you mentioned the tech war just now, and that's actually something that I want to pick up on and talk about a little bit. I read a very interesting article that you published last year. And in it, you argued that actually not the trade war, but this tech war could be the biggest threat to the status of the US dollar as the sort of the global reserve currency, as it were. Could you just explain to the listeners of the podcast the thinking behind that and exactly what you meant with that? Sure. I think the usual suspects for challenging uh, the US dollar status are the euro and the yuan. And maybe it makes sense to start with thinking what defines a reserve currency. It's probably political stability slash trust in uh, institutions. It's economic strength and military dominance and probably death of uh, financial markets. And regarding the latter, I think the Eurozone still has a long way to go. Uh, we don't have yet debt unification nor really Eurozone uh, bond. But China is really opening up and liberalizing its financial system. So here, China may challenge the US over the next decade or two decades, let's say. So maybe starting with a trade war. On this side, I think the IMF has published a long list of documents highlighting that protectionist measures are negative for the global economy. They find a clear link between globalization and productivity. And uh, one example that may visualize this kind of argument is that if the U.S. government restricts the pool of suppliers for a company like Apple, from which it can buy its input factors, then it can't be good for Apple's uh, business case because it will have to switch to a supplier that either delivers with a lower quality or to a higher price. Otherwise, Apple should have chosen the supplier in first place. Then it depends on the profit margin and the market dominance of the company, whether it takes a hit or it passes the higher price to the consumer. And you can see that this is not good for the economy. But I think this impact is not so likely to trigger a loss of the reserve currency status of the US dollar. 
We have uh, very few historical examples. Sterling and US dollar are probably the only one. And here the history tells us that even after taking over the leadership or in, in economic strength, it may take 20 to 30 years. US GDP outpaced the GDP of the British Empire by the end of the 19th century, but only in 1920 or 1930, uh, the US dollar really took over the reserve currency status. The tech war really has the potential in the medium to longer term because us and probably consensus believes that military dominance is linked to technological supremacy. And uh, on this side, I mean, China is head to head with the US in certain kind of sectors like artificial intelligence or quantum computing. And if these sectors will decide about military dominance, then China may really challenge the US. I think the jury is still out there who will win that kind of tech war, but it's a tough call. And uh, if you would ask me who will win it, I would still bet on the US. But uh, as I said, it's probably a close call. But China definitely has to work on the trust in institutions. And I think still, even after Trump, there's more trust in the US institutions than in Chinese uh, institutions. It seems that the authorities, the PBOC, has been taking steps to try and promote the use of the currency of the yuan in more cross-border trade and finance. How significant or not is that in the kind of development and evolution of the currency? I think I would eat my head if uh, the Chinese yuan um, <laughs> is not more represented in investors' portfolios, central bank portfolios, and so on going forward over the next uh, 10 years. And I think from the starting point perspective, it's just so easy to gain uh, momentum on this side. So just a few examples. I mean, in uh, central banks' portfolios, I think the yuan has a weight of just 2 to 3%. Then we have the BIS report uh, that tells you how much the yuan is represented in global ethics trades. And here it's, again, kind of only in 3% of global ethics trades, the uh, yuan is on one side of the traded cross. And then uh, there was a recent study by the IMF in, of 2020, the patterns of invoicing in global trade. And that highlighted that 40% of trade contracts are still denominated in US dollar, but only in 10% of trades, the US is involved. So, and this is uh, clearly not in balance, actually, with the importance of the US economy and the importance of the Chinese economy. So on this side, I think that more and more trade contracts are denominated in yuan. I mean, um, the Belt and Road Initiative is an open uh, playing field for um, introducing the yuan as a trading uh, currencies with these kind of involved countries. And um, all these factors are probably leading to a higher use of yuan. And just as recently, you mentioned it as well, that China is opening up. And that is as well one part of their more assertive foreign policy, the dual circulation policy. Um, one part is the external circulation that they're opening up for foreign investors. And since last year, they're included in quite a few fixed income benchmark indices uh, for local debt. And still investors are a bit underinvested, I would say, from the flow data that I have at my disposal. So here, I think China is doing everything they can uh, to promote the yuan, and I think they will be successful. But again, to challenge the US dollar as the world reserve currency, it takes 10 years plus, at least. Looking at a different region of the world now, Brexit has been a long and ongoing process, to say the least. 
at this point, Brexit has happened. We've had the transition period. So given this, what are your expectations for the pound and the euro in the year ahead? If I look at our models that we use for FX forecasting, then uh, sterling is still kind of cheap. If we look at valuation metrics, then it's probably 10% roundabout cheap versus the euro. If I look at spreads, then it's kind of cheap. And I see that the speculative investors are increasing their long positions in sterling. And I think with the kind of trade deal that we got by the end of the year, there is still a little bit juice less for sterling. And we shouldn't underestimate that sterling is as well a cyclical currency, highly correlated with global equity markets. And if we are right on uh, the pro-risk environment in 2021, then uh, sterling should have a little bit more potential. But we don't expect it to close the valuation gap here. So we think, let's say, 3%, 4% versus the euro is possible. But uh, a lot of damage uh, has been done with the Brexit. And I think still the UK economy needs to digest that. And so we shouldn't expect uh, the fair value to be reached. And the last thing I wanted to ask you before I let you go today, which is, do you have your eye on anything that you think might be a big surprise for the currency markets next year? Are you seeing perhaps risks that you see that aren't being priced into the markets right now? I think the market is still expecting the Fed to signal a kind of tapering towards the end of 2022. So anything that would make the market believe that tapering could start by early 2022, the communication would probably then have to start in summer. That would be probably a surprise to markets and should be taken negatively by markets because still a lot of countries are not yet ready to digest rising rate expectations in the US, I think. That would be one thing. And it would probably be linked to inflation. So if inflation is kind of surprising to the upside, the Fed might be forced to signal that. And uh, we don't know yet at what uh, inflation level they would kind of indicate a start of tapering. So higher inflation leading to a kind of, let's say, a policy mistake, that would be the biggest negative risk to me. And the biggest positive risk uh, would probably be back to normality. I think that is not priced in either. So if we see uh, a high capacity utilization of uh, planes and so on, I think that would be a very positive uh, signal for the markets and in particular for EM and uh, the cyclical currencies. Yes, I think it's safe to say that a a return to normality would be a, a welcome positive surprise for everyone this year. Sven, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you. And thank you to our listeners. And please do join us again next time. Thank you for listening to the 360T podcast. Check the 360T website to catch up on past episodes and find new listings. 